Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it is my honor today to bring forth the Word of God. If you haven't been with us, uh, you should know that for all of 2020, uh, we have been, we have been uh, taking a deep look into the life of the character we know as the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, who wasn't always known as Peter, once upon a time was called Simon by his community. And up to this point, we've been, we've been pretty much focusing on uh, the calling, or as I would like to say it, the awakening of Peter. Then starting last week, we transitioned into a new section of our look at Peter, a new section of our series. This time, it's called Metamorphosis. Can you say Metamorphosis? Metamorphosis. We're talking about the transformation of Peter from the unstable to bold, often rebuked disciple to the apostle and the pillar of the early church that we fondly remember. If you would, you can join me this morning in the book of Acts. We're in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Fifth book of the New Testament. We will be in the ninth chapter. If you would like, you could have your neighbor also go to Luke chapter 5 and then turn to your other neighbor and tell them to go to Mark chapter 5. We're going to hit all of these today and it might be easier if y'all just tag team it a little bit. So one of y'all go to Acts 9 one of y'all go to Luke 5, one of y'all go to Mark 5, and then that way we can just look on each other's papers like teachers never let us do. Amen? All right, so we're going to start our time for right now in Acts chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 32, and this is the story or stories we have for this morning. Here we go. Meanwhile, <clears throat> Peter traveled from place to place and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There, he met a man named Aeneas. Aeneas had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 36, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Yep. I mean, you got to acknowledge it, right? Like, we're all thinking it. You have to acknowledge it. It's Dorcas. It just, just get over it, all right? I'm going to try to. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and she died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned to them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed, 
Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. And the news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. You become like the people you spend time with. Has anyone ever told you that? I'm sure they have. You become like the people you spend time with. If I were to ask you, who, were the, who are the top five people that you spend the majority of your time with? Do you want to become like those people? Take a second to think about it. Who are the top five people you spend the most time with? Do you want to become like those people? I'll go a step further. If you were to pick the traits you would like to have from those five people, what would they be? This is, this is for free. This, this part's for free. This has nothing else to do with what I'm going to say. I would encourage you this week, whatever you just thought of, whatever person you just thought of that you spend a lot of time with, whatever trait they have that you would actually like to inherit from them, I would encourage you to tell them that this week. That's for free. That's for free. We just don't have enough positive talk, right? That's for free. For me, I brag often. Y'all hear me brag often about my fantasy football league, right? You hear me brag about that often, mostly because I keep winning championships. I just can't help it. But also, but also because each of these individuals that are in this league, we call ourselves the brotherhood, and they came into my life at a time where I needed strong community. And I am genuinely thankful that when I moved to this city and transferred to Malone, that, that these were the nine other guys that I fell into friendship with. We all separately had hearts for the Lord. But together, together we pushed each other to places that I guarantee the majority of us never saw us going. I know that I'm standing here today and that I'm in the position that I'm in in good part because of the brotherhood that I found in college. I'm proud that all 10 of us that call ourselves brotherhood are all still actively involved in ministry in some form or fashion. I'm humbled and honored by the fact that four of the 10 of us do ministry together right here as a part of this church. And as we talked about last week, it's important to get time alone with God. It's important to get away for time with just you and God. So if your time away with God, if the minutes or hours you spend away just you and God counted as you spending time with a person, would God crack the top five? For Peter... He certainly spent a good majority of his time around Jesus. I mean, this man gave up everything he had, was a part of, and knew to follow Jesus. So he's spending a whole lot of time with Jesus and 11 other bums. 
The thing that we need to start with this morning is knowing that you can't not be different when you spend that much time with Jesus. It's not possible for things to not change if you're genuinely spending that much time with Jesus. And so let me ask you, which one of Jesus's traits would you most want to inherit? Some people would say his humility. Some people would say his wisdom. I'm not going to front. I would go straight for the miracles. Straight for him. I want that. I want to be able to look at somebody and be like, you're fine. Get up and walk. I, I do that anyway. They just don't normally walk after I say it. In the story we just read, we get to see in Acts, post-resurrection, post-Jesus' ascension back into heaven. And now it's just the spirit of God that's in the believers, driving the church forward. We get to see firsthand that Peter doesn't just go back to being a fisherman. That being driven by the spirit of the Lord, Peter is becoming just like his teacher. Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. So when he writes and records this account of Peter, I have to believe that he has this other instance in mind that he recorded in his gospel about Jesus. If you go back to Luke chapter 5, this isn't, this isn't going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you as quickly as I can get there. If you go back to Luke chapter 5, look at your neighbor who got Luke chapter 5 and say, let me see that. Dang, your neighbor didn't go to Luke 5? That's messed up. If you look, starting in verse 17, there's a story that Luke records that says this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because, you know, there's too many people. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles, and they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. That's some bold faith, but we don't got time today. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Pharisees and teachers of religious law said, hold up. Who do you think you are? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to you to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? I right, watch this then. Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen some amazing things today. So Jesus is teaching in front of a bunch of Pharisees and Teachers of religious law, meaning if, if anyone was going to know stuff about God, it was going to be these individuals. And when the paralyzed man is lowered down from the roof, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins. 
Because I know that it's your sins that got you in this predicament. Y'all know that, right? Like it's our sins that get us in this spot. He says, it's your sin that's forgiven. Now people got a problem with that because Jesus is flexing some authority that they don't feel like anyone else should have. They're saying, no, 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 who do you think that you are? You don't have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus basically looks at them and in the kindest, most humble and wisest way, way greater than I, basically, I'm paraphrasing, says, not only do I have that authority, but let me flex one more time and say, hey, paralyzed man, get up and go home under your own strength. And there he went. That's some authority. Pick up your mat and walk. So then when we look at our main text for today, we see Peter in front of a whole lot of believers who think they know a lot about what's going on. He's in Lydda and Peter comes across this paralyzed man. There are several accounts where Peter is a bystander when Jesus heals people. The Bible tells us that this man was paralyzed for eight years, which is to really communicate the the severity of his paralysis. This man is not only paralyzed, but it's been eight years. He ain't going nowhere. Peter, I have to imagine, thinks to himself and says, I've seen this before. I've seen Jesus do this before. I don't know that there's necessarily a formula to it. I have to believe that the Spirit of God is with me. Therefore, what was with Jesus is now with me. So, hey, paralyzed man, Jesus Christ has healed you. Pick up your mat, go home. And guess what happens? He invokes the name of Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. It's not me. It's not Simon, Peter, whoever. It's Jesus. Jesus heals you through my ministry right now. Fold up your mat and walk. Peter, who once saw Jesus flex in front of some religious folk, the authority of God now invokes the authority himself. By following and spending time with Jesus, Peter's authority had been completely transformed. That point will be up on the screen. By following and spending time with Jesus, Peter's authority is transformed. Let me ask you, church, has your authority been transformed? Do you know that as, the spirit, as sure as the Spirit of God lives in you, You can invoke the name of Jesus in that authority. Sometimes I feel like we treat God's authority like we're parenting somebody else's kids, right? Like, 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 hey, you shouldn't do that. You know your parents wouldn't want you to do that, but I'm going to fall just short of actually grounding you. Like, I'm not going to carry out any type of punishment on you. I'm not actually going to fully step in because you're somebody else's kid. That's exactly how we treat the authority that, that, that Christ brings. I believe that God's heart is to heal. I feel the power of the Lord with me, but I don't know if I can quite go there. So maybe I'll just call God up on this prayer and say, if it be your will. You don't think it's his will? We 
we say, if it's okay with you, God, may this happen. As if God's will is not always for restoration. As if God's will is not always for justice. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I tell you, go and make disciples. We forget. Jesus tells us, I I, I got you. Where you go, my spirit goes. That, That power is in you. That authority has been given to you. He's going to work his authority out through us. That's a promise from God. This unlocks this supernatural ability for us to walk away from traps of the enemy, to reach the most difficult people in the most difficult circumstances, and to bring light to the darkness of situations so that all who see it may be saved. Let me ask you, what would your current circumstance look like? If you invoked the name of Jesus Christ and brought forth all authority he gives through you, what pain would be healed? What chain would be broken? Where is God giving you permission to use the authority of Jesus right now? Where is God giving you permission to use the authority of Christ right now? Now, there's another example I know Luke had to have in his mind. Had to know it. Turn to your neighbor who went to Mark 5 and say, let me see that. This is Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. (laughs) I love these stories, man. Verse 21, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. Now, here's where it gets interesting. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, and I just feel like it was Peter. Like, I, don't you, like, you just get that impression by now? I just feel like it was Peter. His disciples said to him, man, look at the crowd. It's pressing in around you. How can you ask who touched me? Man, everybody touched you. (laughs) But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I love this part. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead, man. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. You think Peter needed to see something today? When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? Man, why did you ask that question? He already told you that she had died. What an insensitive question. He says, why are you all crying? Why are you all weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And then verse 40, the crowd laughed at him. I wish I had time to go back through the biblical narrative and talk about all the times that somebody laughed at God and then turned around to put their foot in their mouth about three passages later. But he made them all leave. He's like, y'all got to go. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to go give her something to eat because she had been dead for a minute and she's famished. So Jairus comes to Jesus about his daughter. Jesus decides to go with Jairus. On the way to Jairus' house, there's a crazy crowd. I mean, duh, right? Like, this guy's about to go heal a girl who is dying, soon to be dead. I'm going to see, right? Like, if this guy claims I'm going to do something miraculous, you're going to go see. So there's a huge crowd. As he's walking, a bleeding woman, been bleeding for a long time, crazy condition, crazy complicated. Nobody can figure it out. She's poor from, and broke from how much she's spent trying to figure it out. She reaches out, touches his robe. Jesus says, hold up. I have to imagine that Jairus looks at Jesus and thinks, ain't no time to hold up. It's time to go. My daughter is dying and you want to take time. You want to stop and talk to some woman about who touched you when everybody touched you. Jesus is like, y'all chill out. I need to know who just touched me. Because she needs to be healed today. She needs to know that it's her faith that made her well. Something that y'all ain't exhibiting by rushing me. I need to tell her that her faith has made her well. Then, he, by the time he's done with her, word gets back to Jairus. Hey, man. Took too much time, man. Daughter died. Don't even, don't even bother. Jesus said, man, did I not tell you that I was coming to your house? Did I not tell you that I was going to do something miraculous? Did I not just tell you to have faith? Then what are you doing? Tell your boys to get up out the way. Get behind me. We got to go to your house. When Jesus gets there, there's, there's crying. There's weeping. Natural. We hate death. Death is painful. Death is terrible. We hate what it does to our family. We hate what it does to our friends. I'm crying too. This is a terrible situation. And Jesus is like, y'all, she's just asleep. There's hope to be had after what you perceive as death. I'm going to prove it to you. Watch what I do. I go in there. She's just sleeping. She's about to wake up. Everybody laughs. 
Weird time to laugh. Everybody laughs. He goes, all you guys who just laughed, your teacher ever do this to you? Everybody who just laughed, get out in the hallway. You don't get to see it. You don't get to witness it today. Oh, you think it's funny, huh? You, you, you. All y'all, go. Gotta go. You don't get to see it. Mom, dad, Peter, John, James, you get to see it. He says, little girl, little girl, get up. And they, they have her walk out to present her to the crowd alive. Oh, we didn't get to see it, but it doesn't matter. It's so cool. This is amazing. Similarly, Peter, in his journey around Joppa, near Joppa, he, he comes across two guys who are like, hey, come to Joppa. Hey, man, you got you to gotta come. I've heard about you. I've heard about you. You got to come with me and see about this little girl. Her name translated is Dorcas. But she was full of good works and charity, which totally changes all the times my brother called me Dorcas growing up. He gets there, and he sees a similar setting to what Jesus witnessed on the way to Jairus' house. He sees weeping, deep, heavy, sob, ugly crying, so upset. And he also sees memorials. They hung up her coats and her blankets and her tunics, the things that she had made for the poor. Anyone who had ever received something from her brought it and laid it at her bedside. They, they just couldn't let her go. So they did what they needed to do to her body, and they put her in an upper room with all the memorials because that's, like, that's Tabitha. Like, that's, I, I just can't. Peter goes in. What's he do? He puts everyone outside. He says, I'm not even going to say it because I was there last time somebody said it and everybody laughed. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip right to it. Everybody get out. Take, take the memorial with you too. Take the tunics, take the coats, take the, take the things that, that Tabitha made, take all of them out. Peter goes ahead and removes the distractions and things that, by the way, can't save you. That's for free. I'll get that on the way home. <laughs> Peter says the same thing he heard Jesus say. He says, little girl, arise. Little girl, get up. Peter had walked with Jesus to Jairus' house. He saw the whole thing. Watch skeptically, no doubt. But having spent time with Jesus, he knew he could walk now into Tabitha's room with confidence. He knew he could walk in with the authority of Christ. Peter walked in there, removing people and unbothered by the weeping because he expected a resurrection. By spending time with Jesus, point two, Peter's expectation was transformed. Have your expectations been transformed? Do you expect that God will bring something that's dead to life? A situation, a relationship, a sickness. Do you expect that God will bring what's dead to life? 
When you're faced with a difficult situation, do you expect to see God move? See, I believe we've allowed our faith to become prisoners of the faithless world around us. In other words, because so many people around us are faithless and are not living into the authority Christ has given, we may not see the miraculous that often. And because we don't see it, we have come to no longer expect God to work like that. I know, I know you can't possibly believe it outside of this room, but believe it or not, there are people who have whole theology based on the idea that God doesn't work like that anymore. They say God used to do that, but he doesn't anymore. And I have to wonder out loud, dang it, what made him stop? Who ruined it for everyone? And I have to ask, is it more likely that God decided in this era he would move completely logically according to human finite understanding or that the people of earth have given themselves over to so many other things that we no longer expect to see stuff that would defy modern logic or technology? Which one is more likely? See, Jesus and Peter both, both did something interesting by removing people and things from the room that would take away from the faith of those present. He said, oh, y'all laugh? Oh, you don't have faith? Oh, you can go. Perhaps if we're not experiencing God's supernatural work in our lives, we should begin to remove the people and things around us that take away from our faith instead of just begging God to break through our stubbornness. Perhaps. Just a suggestion. I don't know. Last thing I want to point out, and this is key. We got to get this part too. In every story we read this morning, how do each of them end up? We read like four, right? How do all four of them end? They end the same way. Different people, similar miracles, same result. What happens? What happens is overwhelming amazement and spiritual transformation. As a result of each of these miracles, the kingdom of God took new ground. In the instance of Peter... He went to Lydda, and there were believers there. But after this, there were a lot more believers there. Then he's going to go to Joppa. And after this, there were a lot more believers in Joppa. And then I'm going to give you a spoiler alert for a couple weeks coming. He's going to stay in Joppa till he gets summoned to go somewhere that he's got some prejudice and racist bias about. But he's going to go there, and a whole lot of people are going to believe. Perhaps Peter's biggest transformation of all in all of this was he began working toward advancing the kingdom of God rather than advancing the kingdom Peter had in his own mind. When we live by the authority of Jesus Christ and we expect to see him move, point three, the world around us is transformed. When we live into the authority of Jesus, and we expect to see him move, the world around us has no choice 
but to change. Inward reflecting question that you're not going to like. Has the world around you been transformed by your advancement of the kingdom? Don't answer out loud. Could be embarrassing. Has the world around you become a different place because of the way you live into Christ's authority and expectation? I think we often scare ourselves out of living by Christ's authority and expectations because what if we're wrong? What if we fail? What if people don't like it? What if people are like turned off by it? A woman reached for Jesus' robe. People used to put their sick by the road in hopes that Peter's shadow would touch it. All people have a desire to be healed, heard, and not hungry. All people. I remember one time being at a basketball game at the queue, because it's still the queue. Stop trying to convince me otherwise. It's the queue. It's where the Cavs play. It was when LeBron was there, so, you know, cool people were still there, but just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. We go to the Cavs game, and this guy next to us, you know, he's, he's, he's a few drinks in. And by a few, I mean a lot. He's feeling himself. He's feeling the game. He's feeling the atmosphere, and he's talking up a storm, telling us all about his glory days. Like, he just wants everybody to know. He's wearing this big old fat, like, championship ring. I don't know, like, what he did, but, like, I don't know. He told me, and I just, I don't know. Like, I was just trying to tune it out. Because here's the thing. I knew where this conversation was going. I knew right away where this conversation was going. Eventually, he'd stop talking about himself. And eventually, he would turn to me, and he would say, so what do you do? And I'll just be honest with you, okay? Can I keep it all the way real? Like, forgive me for this later. Sometimes in public, I just don't want to admit that I'm a pastor. Can I just keep that real for a second? Like, sometimes I just don't want to admit it. Not because I'm ashamed of it, but because I know what always comes next. I knew this guy was going to ask me. I knew I was going to tell him. And then I knew what was going to happen. But here's the thing. We think we know that, oh, that'll, that'll stop the conversation. Oh, oh, pastor, or he'll feel uncomfortable. Oh, like, oh, 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 hey, all right, my fault. Just, you know, ignore me the rest of the game. Can I tell you a secret? That never happens. That never happens. What actually happens is inevitably he said, so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. And he looks at me and began to weep. I mean, he was drunk. So like, put that into account. (laughs) But, but he started to weep, and he tells me his whole life story, his history with abuse and addiction. <laughs> and he asked me to pray for him. And I'm like, dang it, it's my day off. <laughs> Guys, this happens every single time. Every single time. Guys, when we live by the authority of Jesus to advance the kingdom of God, when we expect him to make it happen, the world around us is a different place. So here's what I'm saying. I want this to be a church that's like that. 
I want this to be a church that lives into Christ's authority, that expects God to do something wild. Here's what I believe the outcome of that will be. I believe we'll be a church that forgives and accepts all people. I believe that we'll be a church where the shine and also the speculation of the miraculous is removed because it just reaches a point where it's, it's, it's expected that the Spirit moves in that way. And I believe we'll become a church that reaches beyond its own physical property and even its own city limits. Can we do that? Can you join me in that? As we all continue in our discipleship journeys, can we see ourselves transformed in these ways so that we collectively may be a church that sees Christ do the miraculous?